Welcome to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Deaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, Arvigo abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method. This podcast will be part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood, and part information about the holistic health practices that I use in my practice. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. If you are interested in learning more about the fertility awareness method, or if you don't know what I'm talking about and you would like to know what I'm talking about, then I have just the resource for you. I recently released a three-part video series that is completely free, and in that video series, I talk about what the fertility awareness method is. So essentially, it involves tracking and charting your three main fertile signs, which include basal body temperature, cervical mucus, and cervical position, which is an optional sign. So in the video series, I talk a little bit about how to track and chart each of those signs and what some of those signs can reveal to you in terms of your goals for for your fertility if you are calling in a pregnancy if you're avoiding pregnancy if you are simply using this method to assess your overall health we also talk about the cycle parameters and what we are looking at in terms of what's optimal for a healthy cycle then we talk about the applications of the fertility awareness method. So in terms of optimizing your chances of conception, if you're someone that's wanting to get pregnant, we talk about timing sex appropriately so that you are having sex when you're actually fertile. If you believe that you're fertile every single day of the cycle, then you are definitely going to want to check out this video series because that is not true. The fertility awareness method can also be used to optimize your cycle. So we're looking at all of these parameters and then from there, making tweaks to nutrition, potentially lifestyle, sleep, supplementation, all sorts of things to optimize your cycle so that uh, pregnancy is more possible. It can also be used to avoid pregnancy without the use of synthetic hormones or devices. And basically the reason that it can be used for achieving and avoiding pregnancy is because you make different decisions during your fertile window, depending on what your goals are. So either way, you're identifying when you're fertile and when you're not. And then the way that you're engaging sexually will change based on your goals and your intentions, as well as the goals and intentions of your partner. Uh, the fertility awareness method can also be used to assess your overall health or identify any underlying health conditions, things like your metabolism, cervical issues, endocrine issues, things like PCOS, hypothalamic amenorrhea, endometriosis, all sorts of things can be revealed by tracking and charting your cycle. So it is a really essential piece of information, I think, for all people that menstruate and that have uteruses or uteri. So I would love to see you in my free video series and you can find it on my Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness. And it is linked in my bio there. It's often linked in my stories as well. If you have any trouble finding it, send me a message at rosebud underscore wellness. Hello everyone. And welcome back to the womb wisdom podcast. 
So super bummer, but I already recorded this episode and the sound quality was awful. So I'm doing it again. And that's okay, because the more times that I get to go through and share this information, the more clear I get about what exactly the message is that I want to share. So I am just trusting that the universe wanted me to re-record this one for some reason. So what I'm going to be sharing about today is getting pregnant with using the fertility awareness method. So I'm calling this episode Conceiving with Confidence. Because a lot of people, a lot of women, when they first decide that they are ready to get pregnant, pretty much stop taking whatever birth control they've been using for however long, and then just kind of hope for the best. And they don't necessarily know the times of their cycle that they are and are not fertile and everything that goes into not only getting pregnant, but also being able to sustain a pregnancy and then having a healthy pregnancy and then also continuing to be healthy after you have that baby. So there's so much information to be gained in tracking and charting your cycles before you get pregnant. So that is what I will be going through today. And the first thing that I would like to talk about, and I've adopted this from my my teacher who has the business called Fertility Friday, So she started the conception conversation with us, her students, talking about sperm. And I think that the reason that she did this is because this is a really missed piece of the puzzle a lot of the time. So even since my work with just acupuncture over the years, there were so many times that women were coming to see me for fertility in particular, especially as that became my specialty over the years that the partner's sperm parameters hadn't even been checked at all. And the woman is already in my office worrying about why she's not getting pregnant. And the other half of the equation has not even been addressed at all. So I love to talk about sperm quality and making sure that the male half of the equation is also you know, being considered. And I don't think it's any fault of any individual man that it's often missed. I think it is sort of a cultural thing that a lot of times it is just sort of like, oh, the fertility is, that's the woman's problem kind of thing. And there is a lot more to know about the female reproductive system. It is more complex than the male reproductive system, but it doesn't mean that we don't have any control over sperm parameters and sperm production. There, We actually have a lot of control. And it's similar to, so if you've been you know, listening to my podcast or following me on Instagram for any length of time, then you probably already know that a lot of what I talk about is making diet and lifestyle changes for women. And the same thing can be really great for men and optimizing their sperm parameters. But it's the same kind of thing as with women that you need to allow enough time for those changes to actually make a difference. So the difference between you know, sort of like holistic health practices or more natural practices is that you have to most of the time take a little bit longer to actually see noticeable changes. Whereas if you're taking a pharmaceutical medication, so take like painkillers, for example, you can pop a painkiller and your pain is gone like instantly. 
or you could get acupuncture and you might have to go for weekly sessions for a period of time, take some Chinese herbal medicine. You know, there might be a longer length of time that you're having to make these diet and lifestyle shifts in working with more natural treatments than just popping a pill. So I typically recommend the same thing for men that they allow at least three to four months to see how the lifestyle and supplement changes that I'll talk about in a little bit have actually impacted their system. So it's really great for men to consume consume fertility superfoods similarly to their female partner. So those are things like fish, which would be wild caught ideally, eggs, which would be you know, free range, ideally liver, if you can tolerate eating liver, or you can also take the desiccated liver capsules that I've talked about previously. If you want a source for that, then I would be happy to send that information over to you because vitamin A in particular is really, really important for both egg and sperm quality. And vitamin A is very high in liver. So just incorporated, even just incorporating desiccated liver capsules alone can really make a big difference, both for men and for women in terms of fertility. So one of the things that's really cool about, you know, like if you're in a partnership is that if you're having any fertility challenges is that you can use it as a bonding experience to make some lifestyle changes together to work on your health and eat these new foods that maybe you haven't eaten before together or take these weird capsules together. Um, Minimizing pesticide, toxin, and xenoestrogen exposure is also really important for men. And so xenoestrogens in particular are in a lot of body care products and cleaning products. So the more natural, or even if you can make some of your cleaning products and things like that at home, that's something that I do a lot. I just use white vinegar. Sometimes I use orange peels or lemon peels to scent it. Um, or you can also add essential oils. You can just clean with apple cider vinegar that's diluted with some filtered water. It doesn't smell as, you know, like the same as a, a cleaner that you would buy from the store does, but it does the job that you need it to do. And it doesn't have any toxins in it. There are also some really great natural brands, but if you are on something somewhat of a budget, then they tend to be a little bit more expensive. So sometimes making your own cleaning products can be an option. Also, it's really important for men to eliminate any unhealthy habits like smoking in particular, both pot and cigarettes can be detrimental to sperm health. Drinking alcohol, ideally if a man can not drink at all and same with men and women, if you can not drink at all, but if you are a person that really enjoys that and it is a part of your life that makes you really happy, then you can just also think about reducing it. And even if not forever, at least for the period of time while you are actively trying to conceive. And of course, for women, you wouldn't be drinking during the pregnancy anyways. So that could kind of be another bonding experience of something that you could do together. So also not overheating the testicles is really important. So things like hot tubs or having their a man having a phone in his pocket or putting the laptop computer directly onto his lap would be too overheating for the testicles. And some men's testicles are even really sensitive to like wearing underwear that is too tight. So that's another thing to consider. It really depends on the man. And it's similar with women that 
you know, for one woman, she can get away with doing certain things that would really impact another woman um, and their fertility. So um, men also have to be a little bit creative about kind of determining what's best for them. Exercising regularly is really important for men and sperm production, but it's also really important that they're not overdoing it at the gym and especially not taking any kind of like muscle enhancing steroid type stuff would really be awful for sperm quality. But I think most men are already aware of that. Some supplements to consider would be CoQ10. That's sort of my number one recommendation. And most men that I have suggested it to have been on board with that. And then also taking liver capsules, like I mentioned before, the desiccated liver capsules can be a really great supplement to make sure that you're getting in a lot of really key nutrients for sperm quality um, without having to make a lot of dietary changes. So with all of that said, there are ways that you can also optimize sperm quality and make sure that you're not you know, kind of that you're optimizing your chances of conceiving with a man, even if they have less than optimal sperm quality. Um, but I'm not going to get into all of that exactly. That's kind of more what I do in my one-on-one -on -one work. We go over, you know, this kind of thing of timing sex at certain like specific days of the cycle in order to ensure that you're sort of optimizing your chances um, but I don't think we need to get into all of that today. That would be more of something like if you know that there's an issue already, then you would maybe start to incorporate that practice. But what I will say about that is that I have seen a fair amount of sperm quality or sperm parameter printouts now, and many men are told that everything is fine. So what they're looking at is the overall count they're looking at morphology, which is what the sperm looks like, and motility, which is how it moves. And so then they give you a number for each of those things. And what I have found is that majority of men will be told that everything's fine and they should be able to conceive naturally. And like, let's continue looking into the, the woman's side of things because you're fine. And what I have found is that a lot of times the ranges are within what is considered normal, but it is below what is considered optimal. So it's not that the doctor is lying to the man, um, but they are just not maybe aware of what is actually optimal. And that is very similar to women as well, that a lot of doctors think that having excruciating period pain is normal or having crazy PMS is normal and just part of being a woman, but we know, of course, if you've been watching or listening to my podcast, then you know that that is actually not normal. So it's the same kind of thing with sperm parameters. They just don't know that it is, that there is a level that is more optimal for conception. Okay. So that is all I'm going to say about the male side of things. I definitely focus most of my work on the female side of things, but I can't talk about conception without talking about the other side of things. So that's why I wanted to mention it here. So now we're going to be talking about egg quality. So egg quality does naturally decline as you age, but you do have a lot of influence over your egg quality, depending upon how you care for your body and particularly your nutrition status and potentially taking some supplements to support 
some things that may have been lacking from your diet for a longer period of time um, or are continuing to be lacking from your diet, depending on what you choose to incorporate. So ideally, you will allow yourself 18 months to two years after you stop taking hormonal contraceptives to focus on improving egg quality. And I'm going to link an episode that my teacher, Lisa, just released that is this woman who, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but it's this woman who is sharing about her personal story of she was ready to try to conceive. I can't remember exactly how long she had been off of birth control, but she had her AMH, which is anti-malarian hormone, which if you don't know what that is, it, you'll find out in the episode if you're interested. And if you're somebody that is trying to conceive, then probably you've already had this tested. And so as women age, especially this number declines typically. And if you're on hormonal contraceptives, this number will decline as well. And what this woman found is that when she first got her love, her AMH and FSH in particular, those are kind of like the indicators that doctors will use to determine if you're in menopause or not, or you're like premature ovarian failure or things like that, which would mean that you wouldn't be able to get pregnant. But what my teacher and this woman were talking about is that she stopped taking hormonal contraceptives, had her AMH and FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone levels tested right out shortly after she stopped taking birth control. And then she had it tested again several times. And what she found is with the diet and lifestyle shifts that she was making her AMH and FSH levels were improving. So the longer that she was off of hormonal contraceptives and the more that she was supporting her body, the better her egg quality was getting. So it doesn't mean that like, okay, you're old now, so you're going to have crappy egg quality and there's nothing you can do about it, which is what a lot of doctors will say. And actually it was my take home from acupuncture school too. It was kind of like, there's nothing we can really do for egg quality. Like here's some herbs you could try if you feel like it, but there's really not that much we can do. So it's really unfortunate that that is kind of the you know, what most people think, but it is definitely not the case, but it is really important that you give your system time to recover after you have taken hormonal contraceptives, especially if you've been on them for a really long time. And it doesn't even really matter if, you know, they talk about these like lower dose ones and things like that, but low dose is still synthetic hormones that your body's being exposed to, and your body will need an opportunity to be away from that for a period of time before you start looking into egg quality. So in order to improve egg quality, there are some lifestyle changes, some supplements, and some treatments to consider. So ideally, you are making some lifestyle modifications to improve your egg quality, especially if you are somebody that has already identified that you know, there's some kind of issue. Maybe you've had your AMH checked. Maybe you've had your FSH checked. Maybe you are older, maybe you're over 35 and you're kind of just kind of wanting to optimize your chances of conception. And so these are some things to consider. So reducing sugar consumption as much as you can. So it doesn't mean that you can't have any sugar at all. It just helps to 
improve ovulatory function if you are having a lower sugar diet. So it basically just means kind of having an awareness of how much sugar you're taking in. And the the reason I bring that up mostly is because if you are, you know, if you're like having maple syrup and honey or, you know, things more like natural type sugars and things like that, it's really not an issue. It's just if you're having a lot of processed foods and a lot of processed foods will have sugar in them, even if it seems like something that maybe wouldn't. So just something to be aware of. Reducing caffeine consumption can also be really important. So ideally you're kind of sticking to under 300 milligrams a day, which for context, that's three cups of coffee. And so if you are drinking more coffee, then you are less likely to conceive, but that doesn't mean you have to completely give it up or that it's your fault if you're not conceiving because you had a cup of coffee. Like it's really not that much of a crisis, but it can really make a difference in your hormone levels and your hormone balance. Reducing alcohol consumption, same as I mentioned with men, it's really important to reduce alcohol consumption. And if you are somebody that wants to get pregnant, as I mentioned before, you're not going to be able to be drinking ideally during your pregnancy. So why not stop as you are trying to conceive? And part of the reason that it's important to reduce alcohol consumption even before you get pregnant is because alcohol increases estradiol levels. And so that is really detrimental to you being able to have a hormone balance of estrogen and progesterone. And many women in this culture have lower progesterone levels anyways. So if you have heard this sort of like estrogen dominant term thrown around, a lot of times people are referring to estrogen is dominant over progesterone. So it's not necessarily that women have like way too much estrogen. It's just that the estrogen is higher relative to progesterone. Stop smoking cigarettes, of course, is very important. And that is because it has an impact on your hormone levels. So typically less progesterone, high estrogen and high FSH, which are all not great for fertility. Reducing xenoestrogen exposure, which is the same as what I mentioned for men as well. So body care products, cleaning, home cleaning products, things like that. And women are definitely more, tend to be more likely to use more personal care products like makeup and all sorts of cleansers and body washes and things like that. So you definitely want to be looking at the, the quality and the type of, um, personal care products and cleaning products that you're using. So ewg.org is a good resource for determining toxicity and xenoestrogens in different products. So exercising moderately is important, but it's the same kind of thing with men. You want to be moving your body in ways that feel good and help get your blood circulating, but you don't want to be exercising excessively because that can cause a, light, a lot of cycle irregularities so it can cause you to ovulate much later. It can cause your luteal phase, which is the second part of your cycle to be shorter. And that really needs to be long enough in order for your body to, to go through the full implantation process and for your body to be able to sustain a pregnancy. So some supplements to consider. CoQ10 is really great. So that's something that you and your male partner could do together. Um, it is also found in liver. So even if you just wanted to do one supplement, doing those desiccated liver capsules is a really great start. And so you take three to four of those 
twice a day. So you're taking six to eight of the desiccated liver capsules. And it seems kind of crazy, like a lot. As a Chinese herbalist, to me, it seems like nothing because a lot of the supplement or a lot of the herbal formulas that I prescribe, if they are encapsulated, people have to take way more than that. So, but I am sensitive that not everybody is used to taking Chinese herbs. So that might seem like a crazy amount, but what desiccated liver capsules are is just like dried liver. So if you look at the amount that six to eight capsules would be, if you were to be like looking at a piece of meat, it's really barely anything. And so hopefully that kind of puts things into perspective. So, but I understand people are not maybe wanting to be taking tons and tons of supplements. So if you wanted to only take one thing, that would be my recommendation. Omega-3 fatty acids are important, but you can also get that from fish. So if you are eating fish regularly, like two to three times a week, at least, um, maybe you can skip that one. Vitamin A is important, but you can find that in the liver capsules. Iodine is also important. So especially for people that have been pregnant before, iodine is really, really depleted during pregnancy. So it might be worth looking in to see if you're deficient in it first, if you wanted to do that before supplementing, or you could start supplementing with it. One of the main symptoms of iodine deficiency is having breast tenderness or nipple pain, any kind of like pain or tenderness or distension in your breasts or your nipples, um, either at ovulation or before your period, things like that. So if you're somebody that experiences that, then you might try supplementing with iodine. So vitamin D is also really important and you want to get the vitamin D3 form. You can also make sure that you're spending lots of time in the sun, but I know that not everybody lives in an environment like I do in Southern California, where you can be out in the sunshine all the time. And then it also depends on your skin color, how much you absorb. So you just maybe want to get that checked too, to make sure you don't want to be like, oh yeah, you know, I spend plenty of time in the sun. It's probably fine. Um, it's worth looking into to see if your vitamin D levels are good or not. Um, you can also consider some other things if you have specific concerns like PCOS, or if you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, that's a whole other thing. Maybe I'll do a podcast about that actually, because I have a lot of experience with that. And I've done, I've spoken on other people's podcasts about it previously. Um, certainly during pregnancy, you can be taking a prenatal vitamin. The more that I learn about supplementation, the more that I hear that most people actually don't take a prenatal and they kind of make up their own prenatal from things that are important for them to get in during pregnancy, like folate, um, vitamin C, E, selenium, zinc, things like that. So they're kind of picking and choosing the things that they are maybe deficient in based on how they, they eat. Um, but if you were somebody that wanted to take a prenatal vitamin, it would be a good time to start preparing your body for pregnancy you know, before you're actually trying to conceive or during the trying to conceive process and not waiting until you're already pregnant to start doing that. So some treatments to consider are acupuncture, which I'll talk about more specifically because I'm an acupuncturist. Functional medicine, I am not a functional medicine doctor, but I know that people can get a lot of really great information about levels of things. Like they can go into tons of detail that I don't know 
that much about other than having had a lot of stuff tested myself and naturopathic medicine. They can also do a lot of lab testing and figure out, you know, if you're deficient in things and make some supplementation recommendations. Um, and then ideally how you're going to be improving egg quality is by reducing oxidative stress. And so you want to kind of just customize whatever approach you want to be using of what works best for you. So like, do I want to go get acupuncture? Do I want to be stuck with needles or am I not so into that? Do I want to go down the rabbit hole of doing tons and tons of tests? Or do I want to focus on getting really good nutrition and kind of put my energy there? And so it's not like a one or the other, but it's, you can't do everything. And so you have to choose the things that really resonate with you and that you find are most effective for you in particular. So the first thing that you want to do if you are wanting to, well, I realized I didn't really talk about acupuncture. So a lot of people ask me about acupuncture for fertility and they're like, do, do you have like some kind of like fertility protocol or something like that? And there are definitely acupuncturists out there that will say like, yes, totally. I have a fertility protocol. It works every single time. This is exactly how I do it. Here's this research study of, you know, they do all sorts of research studies on fertility, particularly with assisted reproductive technology, like both before and after a transfer at different times of, you know, when they're stimulating things and when they're administering certain medications, doing that in conjunction with acupuncture. And it's all really cool and interesting, but it isn't totally how Chinese medicine works. So how Chinese medicine and acupuncture is a part of Chinese medicine, how it actually works is that you are looking at the person in front of you, all of their signs and symptoms, in addition to their tongue and pulse, and then potentially some other things too, but I'm not going to give a full acupuncture lesson right now. But we're taking that all into consideration and creating a, and determining a pattern. And it's not always like one specific pattern. There's usually like multiple things that are going on. And what we treat is the pattern. And so, yes, there are some points that are related to the uterus. Like there's one called Zigong Shui, and that is like the uterus point, which is on your lower belly. So I often incorporate that into my treatments. I often use moxa on that point. Uh, moxa is an herb, which is mugwort. That's it's rolled up into different forms and you can put it on top of the needle, light it on fire. And then it helps to penetrate into whatever point you're using, penetrate a warmth into that area and circulation. So hopefully that isn't too much of a tangent, but basically when people ask me about using acupuncture for fertility, it's basically different for every single person. There are some sort of general themes that I see, especially being in a culture of America where a lot of women are exposed to similar ideas and are struggling with similar things, but I'm always going back to the root, to the pattern. So there isn't a specific thing that I'm doing. I also often incorporate Arvigo abdominal massage and yoni steaming. So I either recommend that people do some steaming at home or I do it in the office for them. And then the Arvigo abdominal massage, I teach a self-care massage. And then I also uh, perform the, the massage on them as well. So Anyway, so 
Determining when you're fertile. So all of your pre-ovulatory days where you are experiencing both peak and non-peak cervical mucus. So if you see cervical mucus and you haven't ovulated yet, then that is considered a fertile day. If you have um, any days where you get sort of like spotting or bleeding mid-cycle at any point in your cycle, you can consider yourself fertile during that time as well in the pre-ovulatory phase. And then any day that you have peak or non-peak cervical mucus on the light and very light days of your period. So especially for women that tend to ovulate on the earlier side, which would be like 10 days or less, like 10 or 11 days or less would be kind of on the early side. And especially if a woman has a longer bleeding phase, then say she bleeds for seven days, which would be long, like on the long side. And then she ovulates at day 10. She could, she probably is producing cervical mucus during her period at the tail end of her period. So you need to start looking for cervical mucus at that time, which a lot of people are not aware of. And so peak quality cervical mucus for those of you that are new to fertility awareness is clear, stretchy and or lubricative. So if you've ever heard people talk about like egg white cervical mucus, that's peak quality cervical mucus. Non-peak looks more like, uh, like lotion-y kind of. And the way that you are collecting cervical mucus is by running toilet paper over your vulva from front to back. And so there are people that do internal checks. There are people that are kind of like looking in their underwear or just kind of like feeling in the shower or whatever. Um, but the really the best way to see what's up with your cervical mucus is to wipe piece of toilet paper from front to back over your vulva every time before and after you go to the bathroom and then seeing what's on the toilet paper. So um, if you are interested in going into a lot more information about this, then I will share with you about an offering that I have. Actually, no. Yeah. I'm going to just do a separate recording talking about my, my course that I just released. It's a self-study course where you can go through take a really deep dive into all of this stuff. So if you're interested in that, then uh, let me know, or you can also check it out in the show notes. I've linked it. So um, you, the best days to have sex, if you're trying to conceive is on your pre-ovulatory days where you are producing cervical mucus, both peak and non-peak cervical mucus. So if you haven't ovulated yet and you're seeing cervical mucus, have sex if you're trying to conceive, if you want to. So that's also really important that trying to conceive can start to become sort of a chore or something that you feel like you have to do. And it can make kind of take the beauty out of being intimate with your partner out of things. So you also, even if you're seeing the most fertile quality cervical mucus ever, if you don't feel like having sex, then just skip it that day. So ideally you are having sex as close to ovulation day as possible. And the peak quality cervical mucus is most highly correlated with ovulation day. So that would be that egg white, white, clear, stretchy, lubricative cervical mucus is sort of the optimal time to be trying to conceive. And so the reason that the mucus days are fertile is because cervical mucus helps to facilitate sperm transport into your uterus. And then it also can house sperm. So inside of your cervix, there are these things called cervical crypts, which produce cervical mucus. 
And they also are these little caves where sperm can go and hide out prior to ovulation, and they can live inside of your body for up to five days. And so if your body is producing cervical mucus for five days prior to ovulation, if you start having sex when you're, when you see cervical mucus, it could, it's possible that you could get pregnant from that five day old sperm on ovulation day when that sperm is released, when ovulation is occurring. So hopefully that makes sense. So cervical mucus is an indication that your cervix is open and that so sperm can pass through and it's also alkaline. And so normally the pH of the vagina is acidic, which is very hostile environment for sperm, which are alkaline because cervical mucus is alkaline. It means that it scoops up the sperm and says here, here's a nice little place for you to stay until you're ready to go on your journey to fertilize the egg. So there's a lot of things that are important about cervical mucus and identifying it rather than just trying to have sex on ovulation day itself. So I know a lot of women will use OPKs, which I think maybe I'll just talk about it now. No, I'm going to wait. Yeah, I'm going to wait to talk about OPKs. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But so it's really important to, to track and chart your cervical mucus. And it is also really important for preventing an abnormal and any abnormal sperm from getting inside of your body. And so that in sort of indirectly helps to prevent miscarriages because a lot of early miscarriages are from chromosomal abnormalities. So if your body's just kind of letting anybody in, so like any sperm, doesn't matter if you're healthy or not, just come on in and fertilize me, then you potentially could have an abnormal, you know, that an abnormal sperm get in. And so then you could potentially struggle with miscarriages because the sperm was not healthy. So that's one of the advantages of having really good quality cervical mucus and being able to identify when your body is pr producing it. Okay, so peak and non-peak, it is good to be able to identify when you have non-peak and when you have peak and knowing that peak is optimal for conception, but you can consider both of them to be fertile. So for example, if I'm teaching people how to use fertility awareness for birth control purposes, they do have to consider any days with peak or non-peak cervical mucus fertile. So because it is possible to get pregnant on those days. So peak day basically is the last day of fertile quality cervical mucus. And you only know it in retrospect. You only know that it's peak day in retrospect. So basically it is, you know, one day you have clear, stretchy, lubricative, cervical mucus. And then the next day you don't. So that day previous was peak day, but you only know it if the next day, then you don't have that. So hopefully that makes sense. So now I'm going to talk about OPKs or ovulation predictor kits. So what OPKs measure is LH, which is luteinizing hormone. And that is released 24 to 36 hours before you ovulate. And one caveat to that is that your body sometimes can be preparing for ovulation. So your FSH is stimulating your estrogen to rise, and then your estrogen is stimulating your LH to rise, 
And then you're about to get the LH surge, which then would trigger ovulation, but your body isn't quite able to get all the way there to that threshold needed to fully ovulate. This happens a lot in women if they are sort of nutrient depleted and then also in PCOS. A lot of women with PCOS have this situation where their body will kind of keep showing up that they have positive LH or OPK readings, but then their body doesn't actually ovulate until much later. So they're just kind of taking OPKs for weeks and weeks at a time. And then ovulation happens, you know, day 40 or something like that. So it's important to know what they're testing for so that you know how to use them. So you really would only want to start using them when you start seeing cervical mucus production anyways. So you really wouldn't, so say that you're somebody that doesn't ovulate until like day 20. If you start taking OPKs, which a lot of people do right after your period ends, you're going to be taking, using them for a long time until you actually ovulate. And especially in that PCOS example, I just gave, if you don't ovulate until day 40, you're taking them for like a month basically, or using them for a month. And so ideally you are using your cervical mucus as your primary sign that ovulation is coming. And the same kind of thing can happen in the PCOS example, um, where you'll have these sort of, or the nutrient repleted example, uh, depleted example as well, that you can have these pockets of cervical mucus, and then it will dry up and go away. Then there's pockets of cervical mucus that so will dry up and go away and it keeps coming and coming and going sort of thing. And so it's really important that you are seeing that in your cervical mucus and you're kind of like, okay, this is something I need to look into more deeply, you know, potentially reading more books about fertility awareness and what that might possibly mean, or working with an educator or taking some kind of course to identify what the causes of that would be, which I'm not going to be able to get into every single detail about that right now. But essentially the take home that I want to come from what I'm saying here is that you can't use OPKs alone to time sex, which a lot of people do. And some women can get away with it, especially if they haven't been on hormonal contraceptives and they don't have any hormonal imbalances. Of course, they can use them to test for when that LH surge is happening. And then they do actually ovulate. But a lot of the people that I work with have cycle irregularities and that's why they're seeking me out. And so they maybe wouldn't have this experience where it's kind of pretty textbook of how it works. So I definitely want to caution women that if you use an OPK, always you be using it in conjunction with cervical mucus and BBT observations so that you can identify with cervical mucus that ovulation is coming. And then you can determine if ovulation actually happened already with your basal body temperature, when you have your temperature shift and when it's sustained. So hopefully that makes sense. So one other thing to know is that during your period, as I mentioned, you, your hormones are too low during your actual heavy to moderate days of your period to have this whole cascade of events happen that trigger ovulation, but it is important to know that at the, on the light days and the very light days of your period, that's when you start checking for cervical mucus to determine if you're fertile or not. So one other thing to note is the semen elimination technique. It's basically just making sure that you get all of the semen out of your body 
after you have unprotected sex. And it may seem counterintuitive for people that are trying to conceive, but the reason that you do this is because you want to make sure that your cervical mucus observations are as accurate as possible the day following unprotected sex. So basically you just go to the bathroom within like 15 minutes or so after having sex, you pee, which most women pee after sex anyways, it's a really good practice to get into um, either way to prevent UTIs and things like that. And then you'll just push all of the semen out of your body and wipe and push and wipe and push until it's all out. So that just basically makes sure that your cervical mucus observations are not confused with semen um, the, the day following unprotected sex. So I think that is everything that I wanted to talk about. I would also like to talk a little about a bit about some of the practices that I think can be supportive. So I already talked about acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine is, is pretty much the same thing in terms of identifying the underlying cause for each specific woman. So there isn't like a fertility formula, which as I mentioned before, I'm sure people have great marketing for fertility herbal blends and things like that, but it really doesn't work that way. Um, and the same thing is true for yoni steaming, which I recommend to pretty much everybody that I work with. I used to be a little bit more shy about it than I am now. I, If people are open to hearing about it, I pretty much think it's a great practice for all women, and especially for women that are trying to conceive just to get in touch with their womb, that part of their body and calling in a pregnancy. And so basically you're, you're wanting to work on any cycle irregularities. So if you have really bad period pain, that's what we're going to be working on with steaming because there is an underlying imbalance that's causing that. And if you don't have any issues and you're just struggling to conceive, then you can start by just steaming after your period ends for one to three days. And basically, you just don't want to be doing any steaming if you could possibly be pregnant. So after you have ovulated, and if you've had unprotected sex that cycle, then you just would not want to be steaming in the luteal phase as you're waiting to determine if you're pregnant or not. And then the abdominal massage that I do, the focus of the massage is to bring the uterus into more into a more optimal position, which for most women is more centralized and a little bit higher up. And so we're also promoting blood circulation in the pelvis, which all of that is really great for fertility, egg quality, things like that. And so I typically recommend that women get at least three massages, abdominal massages before determining if it's a, a good fit for them. And that's sort of like I was mentioning with the sperm quality at the beginning, giving it three months, basically. So if, if women come once a month and, you know, have that three months in a row, that's really great. And then if you can also do a daily self-care massage as well, that can be really helpful for fertility. So castor oil packs are another great thing to consider. I just did a post on my Instagram the other day about exactly how to do it. So if you want to go check that out, it's at rosebud underscore wellness is my Instagram. Um, so if you're listening to this in real time, it will be super easy to find. If not, it might be a little bit more difficult, but basically you just put castor oil on to your belly. Then you put a flannel over that. Then you put a 
um, towel over that to prevent the castor oil from getting on your heating source, which is what you put over that. So either a hot water bottle or a rice pack or something like that. And then you just leave it on for 20 to 30 minutes. And you can do that three times a week, every other night for three weeks. And there's a whole protocol of, of how you can do that, but it is like everything very individualized per person, what, how you actually should do it for your body. And this is something that you would not want to be doing if you could possibly be pregnant. So it would be something that you would only do prior to ovulation. It can help to reduce scar tissue. So if you've ever had any other children and you have a C-section, or if you have any scarring from some other abdominal surgery that you've had in your life, if you have cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, I highly recommend castor oil packs. If you have period pain, especially if it's pretty severe, castor oil packs are amazing for that. Um, and just most people say not to do them during your period, especially if you have really heavy bleeding. I don't necessarily think it matters a ton, but if you have heavy bleeding, then you would just want to be cautious and maybe do it for a shorter period of time. So hopefully this was helpful for everyone and it wasn't sort of like a TMI. I really struggle with giving enough information so that it's interesting for people, but not also being really overwhelming. So hopefully this was helpful and hopefully the sound quality on this recording is better than my previous one. And until next time. If you're feeling intrigued about the fertility awareness method after listening to this episode, then I have a special offering to recommend for you. So I have just created a self-study course that you can do all online. So you can do it at your own pace and learn the fertility awareness method fully. So in the course, there is information about the female reproductive system, how it works, the optimal cycle parameters that you are looking for when you're assessing your cycle as your fifth vital sign. We also get into good nutrition and lifestyle habits that help to support healthy hormone production. We also get into the fertility awareness method and how to track and chart each of your fertile signs. So there is tons of information in this course about tracking and charting your BBT, cervical mucus, and your cervical position. So it doesn't have to be super duper complicated, but there are a lot of things to know. And so I've really broken it down into smaller digestible pieces so that you can work through this course at your own pace and kind of build on your knowledge as you go. And then I get into specifically if you are using this primarily for conception purposes or if you are planning to use fertility awareness method tracking and charting to prevent pregnancy. And then in the end of the course, we also have, I provide you with a variety of additional resources to continue your study and learning. And there is a bonus call, a one-on-one -on -one session with me that is offered through the course as well. So that is definitely really beneficial if you, after you go through how to track and chart your cycle, then you can have your session with me to really break down your chart in particular and what I'm seeing. And I can make some recommendations about diet, lifestyle, some of the things that are maybe not specifically listed in the course um, for you in particular. So if you're interested, there is a link to sign up for that course in the show notes of this episode. You can also go to my Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness to get access to the course as well.
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody that you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that was shared here today. If you're interested in finding more about me, you can find me on my website at rosebudwellness.com, on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness, or on Facebook at the Rosebud Wellness community. Also, if you're feeling called to leave a, a rating or writing a review, that would be amazing. It really helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks so much for listening and until next time. Thank you.